Sunday. Can we just call it what it is? It's like, it's that Sunday between the Christmas Eve service where everyone is high as a kite, the exact opposite of Thanksgiving where we're all hibernating by the time all's said and done. The, the highs are really high on Christmas Eve. And then you have a couple Sundays later, it's New Year's resolutions. And so we're like, let's go get them, Tiger. Like, let's go be the church. Uh, and then there's that one weird Sunday in between. And this is that, that Sunday. And uh, a lot of people will write off a Sunday like this, come in with you know, low expectations as to what God might do. And I hope that we don't do that this morning because uh, I think God can do some really sweet things um, in our time together as we sing collectively, adults and kids alike, um, as we open God's word. Uh, we're right smack in the middle of the end of a sermon series in the beginning of a new one, which makes this Sunday unique in that regard as well. We just finished up the Unwrapping Christmas series. If you're one of those people who likes to keep your tree up through February and just keep celebrating and you miss that series, you can go back and podcast that. We're gonna launch a new series uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians starting next Sunday. You won't wanna miss that. Um, as you can see, we've got a few kids in our midst this morning as we've decided to bring everyone together for a family-style service to close out the year, um, give some of our volunteers a break for a Sunday before we dive into to 2020. And so uh, here, here's what I'd like to do. If there's any category of literature that speaks to adults and kids alike, it would be uh, the category of narrative. I think we can all appreciate a good story, particularly one that captures our imagination which is why I love the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it's there that you encounter crazy things, miraculous healings, exorcisms, resurrections, you, you name it, it's there in the gospel accounts. The gospel accounts are, are by no means boring, and so that's where we're gonna go this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open, open up to Mark chapter six. We'll be in verses 30 through 44 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the rows in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and, and use it during your time with us this morning. You can have that Bible if you don't own a Bible. As you're flipping, uh, let me go ahead and, and just pray for us this morning, and we'll, we'll jump in and get going. God, thank you for this room of people, um, big and little, adult and kid alike. I pray that the story that we are about to look at a true story with Jesus as the hero, as he is the hero of all of the Bible. I pray that it would awaken our hearts this morning. I pray that it would awaken our imaginations as to who you are, God, and what you are capable of, not just in the story that we're about to look at, but in our own lives this very day, and that we would walk away moving into a new year, leaning into you all the more, trusting you, believing in you with fullness of hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you to do that work in us. So, so would you move in power during our time together? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning, we're, we're gonna spend a little bit of time looking at the story of Jesus's feeding of the 5,000. Story that, that many of us have heard, many of us on more than one occasion, perhaps for some of us dating back to the time when we were as young as some of the youngest kids in this room right now. And, and my hope is that by the time we're finished up with our time together this morning, that, that we'll be encouraged as we turn the page on 2019 into a new year, reminded yet again of who Jesus is and what it means to know him and to be known by him as we move into as Jason said, the roaring 20s. Kids, ask for a hoverboard next Christmas because I think they're coming. 
you pick up the story in Mark chapter six, verse 30, it says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Right there in the first verse, we're, we're immediately reminded that every story takes place in the context of a greater story. Right off the bat, we, we have to deal with a question, namely, where did the apostles come from? Where did they return from? And that's a question that points us back to verse seven of chapter six, which tells us that Jesus sent the apostles out with this task of proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, calling people to, to turn to God from their sin, healing the sick, casting out demons. And so the disciples go out and they're faithful with the ministry that Jesus gives them. And then we're interrupted with this story about King Herod and his feast and the beheading of John the Baptist. And then you pick up on the back end of that story, verse 30, which is where we start this morning with the disciples returning from the mission field. Now here's where, where it's intriguing. The layout that Mark gives us, the way he, he lays this out in its order, it's not a coincidence. Mark knows exactly what he's doing as he backs up these two feasts to one another, presenting us first with the feast of King Herod, followed by the feast then of King Jesus. So that what we're gonna see as this morning's passage unfolds is that there's this great contrast between these two kings and their two kingdoms. The first thing to note here in verse 30, and it's incredibly elementary, but so necessary for us to hear, is that Jesus listens to his disciples. The fact that the apostles are sharing their experiences with Jesus, it implies that Jesus actually cares to hear what they have to say. I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's something that, that our hearts need to grab hold of over and over and over again. That Jesus listens to his disciples. He listens to you. When you talk to him, Jesus is listening and he cares what you have to say. That if Jesus isn't listening, then what we do when we gather in this place and in that kid's wing every Sunday morning is completely crazy, really. As we collectively sing songs to Jesus and about Jesus and for Jesus. Because if he's not listening, then we're just lifting up empty words into the airwaves. But we're reminded in this morning's passage that Jesus does listen. He wants you to share your experiences with him, your highest of highs and your lowest of lows. Verse 31 goes on to say, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. But Jesus doesn't just listen to his followers, his disciples, he also provides rest for them. That Jesus sees the 12 step off of the mission field, they're completely empty, nothing left in the tank, and he doesn't then slave drive them into the ground, but rather works in rhythms of rest into their lives, into their ministry, and he's happy to do the same with you and, and with me, particularly as we leverage our lives for his glory. That Jesus sees you when you're weary, I don't know if anyone comes in this morning declaring 2019 was a wearisome year. Jesus desires to give you rest in the midst of your weariness, a rest that's ultimately found in him, as we'll see as we continue on in this passage. Verse 33 says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
That phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, we're, we see the sheep shepherd imagery in the Bible a lot, right? Especially in the New Testament. But, but this is not the first time that you see that language in scripture. In fact, it's an echo of the Old Testament. It goes back to Moses' commissioning by God. If you're familiar with that story, when Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of enslavement, which Moses does, he leads God's people into the wilderness and he's, he's standing right on the edge of the promised land on a mountain overlooking the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. And he's told by the Lord that he won't be able to enter that land with, with the people because of his sin. And this is what Moses says in that moment when he finds that out. Numbers chapter 27, verse 16. Moses says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, over God's people, who shall go out before them and come in before them and shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be, here it is, as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses has this deep desire, if he's not, not gonna get to be the guy, that God's people be led into the land that God has promised by someone who will shepherd them, someone who will guide them and direct them. We know if you, if you read the story as it goes in the Old Testament that the answer to Moses' prayer was Joshua, who, who led God's people into the promised land. But the problem is that the, the experience of God's rest wasn't just about obtaining the right property, right? We know that because... Um, the story of Israel after having been led into Canaan by Joshua under his leadership, it's a story of rebellion. It's a story of, of difficulty and ultimately of exile from the land. That it wasn't as though Israel just needed to cross the property line into the promised land and all things would be well. That Joshua was a shepherd of God's people for sure, an answer to Moses' prayer, but he wasn't the ultimate answer to Moses' prayer. It's really interesting if you, if you study in, in the language of biblical names, you find that the name Joshua translated in, in the language of, of the biblical writing days is the name Jesus. It's where you get the name Jesus. That in the feeding of the 5,000, the greater Joshua is on the scene, the one who's come to shepherd his people. And not only is Jesus greater than Joshua of the Old Testament, he's different from all the religious leaders throughout Israel's history leading up to this morning's passage. If you go back again to, to the Old Testament for a moment, in Ezekiel's day, Ezekiel was one of the Old Testament prophets. In his day, if you read Ezekiel chapter 34, picking up in verse two, you see God rebuking the religious leaders of his day for failing to provide for and protect God's people. It says this, Ezekiel 34, verse two. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. That's a strong word of correction, right? All you care about is yourself. You don't treat the sheep with love and care. They don't, they don't flourish under your leadership, under your shepherding. You call yourself a shepherd, but a shepherd who's only out to serve himself or herself is not a shepherd at all. If you come back to this morning's passage, Mark chapter six, you see Jesus looking out on this crowd, 5,000 men plus their wives and children, many of them, he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. He's well aware that, 
that the religious leaders of his day are no better than the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day. They're arrogant, they're harsh, they're self-serving. What is Jesus' reaction as he looks out on this crowd and sees them shepherdless? We're told that he, he has compassion, the same kind of compassion that we saw in Jesus' encounter with the leper in closing out the Sermon on the Mount series, if you were around for that. That word compassion meaning the inward parts or the vital organs. It's this, this gut-wrenching emotion. That's what Jesus feels in this moment as he looks out upon this crowd. Something wells up within him, in the deepest parts of his being, the heart of a shepherd, the good shepherd. And he begins to teach them many things, we're told, feeding their souls first and foremost, so that Jesus is the true fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, which goes on to say, if you skip ahead to verse 14 of that chapter of the Old Testament, I will feed them, and this is God speaking, with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. That God promises that when there is no shepherd, or when there are only self-serving shepherds, that he will enter in as the good shepherd, which is what we see Jesus doing here in this morning's passage, right? Mark chapter six, Jesus himself declares, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, John chapter 10. So that this morning's passage, it, it doesn't just look back to the Old Testament in the past, the days of Joshua, the days of Ezekiel, but it looks forward to the days when Jesus would lay down his life for the sheep, when he would die for our sins, like a sheep led to the slaughter. Verse 35 goes on to say, and this is when it gets a little humorous. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away, all these people, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Like Jesus has been teaching these people for a while. Everybody's hungry. It's getting dark, right? Imagine if this service didn't end till like six o'clock tonight. Like, kids, you'd be wanting some Chick-fil-A, right? And it's Sunday, so you'd still be disappointed. They want, they want to deal with the hunger of the crowd, the disciples do, by sending them away. Jesus' response, well, you feed them. And, and the disciples respond a, a little sarcastically, which I think I probably would have done too. This is what they say in verse 37. And they said to him, shall we go and buy... 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Like, do you want us to go purchase 200 days wages worth of food, Jesus? Because I don't know if you remember this. It, it's not too far back in the past, but we left our jobs to follow you. We left our homes to follow you. We're jobless. We're homeless. We don't have 200 days wages to spend. Not to mention that the nearest Long John Silvers is pretty far away at this point. So I don't know what you expect of us. And I love what Jesus says in response here. And he said to them, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Jesus asks, well, what have you got, boys? What, what, have you, what do you have to bring to the table? And the disciples go check things out. They come back to Jesus and they say, five loaves and, and two fish, which is essentially the equivalent of saying, we have nothing, right? It would be like if you stood half court 
at the Highlight Factory, which is where the Hawks play. I'm not sure why they call it the Highlight Factory. There aren't a lot of highlights that happen in that building, but imagine yourself in that building, half court, sold out arena, a mat, dream with me, sold out arena, which would be roughly about the size of the crowd in Mark chapter six, with a basket of nachos and cheese in your hand and holding that up to the sold out arena of people and saying, are you guys ready for dinner? That's pretty much what's happening in this morning's passage. The disciples have nothing to offer. They're bankrupt. To which I would ask, isn't that exactly how the gospel works? Isn't it true that everyone in here, adult and kid alike, who professes to be a Christian, that you became a Christian when you realized that the only thing you had to offer God was your sin? That that's the only thing you had to bring before the Lord? That it's in that place of spiritual bankruptcy, of having absolutely nothing to offer, that the gospel shines as we see our desperate need for Jesus. He has the disciples right where he wants them. They declare themselves to be essentially bankrupt, and Jesus says, awesome, let's get to work. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, Jesus did, and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Here's where you see the, the contrast between King Herod and King Jesus, between these two kings and their two kingdoms. On the one hand, you see the contrast between nobility and, and nobodies. That Herod had a feast for important people, nobles, military commanders, the leading men of Galilee. Jesus had a feast on a hillside for the commoner, for the outcast, for the sinner. You also see that Herod's feast was one of self-indulgence, while Jesus's feast was one of self-sacrifice as Jesus poured himself out for the good of those around him. You also see the contrast between cruelty and compassion. Herod had no compassion on John the Baptist and he was murdered. Jesus had compassion on the crowd and they were satisfied. That yes, on the one hand, Jesus is the better shepherd. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the self-serving religious leaders of his day and of our day. But he's also the better king. He's greater than Herod. So that you could say he's the perfect shepherd king combo the perfect one-two punch. And so I would ask this morning, and this is for adults and kids both in this room, do you know this Jesus? Are you one of his sheep? Are you a citizen of his good kingdom? Have you trusted him as the good shepherd who laid down his life for you, for your sins, dying for your sins? Have you bent your knee to him as your king? trusting your life to him? Or has your life been more about religious activity as opposed to a relationship with this shepherd king? He invites you into a relationship with him this morning, no matter how old you are in this room, to become part of his flock, not by doing anything, by grace, by trust, by faith, following where he leads. And if you are a Christian, can we just be honest as we close out 2019? 
We constantly, we Christians, need to be re-evangelized, don't we? Hey, we, we forget. We pursue happiness and fulfillment in things other than Jesus, oftentimes expecting Jesus to help get us there. Some of you kids see us parents doing that silly thing from time to time. Like the disciples, think about this story as we close this morning. The disciples were completely content with the idea of taking five loaves and two fish and dividing them between the 12 of them and Jesus after they'd sent a crowd of people away. What happens in contrast? They walk away with a basket full each, more than they could possibly eat in one sitting. And that's not some proclamation of the prosperity gospel that if you have a faith big enough that you'll experience nothing but health, wealth, and, and good things. It's just simply a reminder that oftentimes we settle for, for something far too small when Jesus offers us himself and the true happiness and satisfaction found in him. So that I would ask you this morning, as we get ready to turn the page on 2019 into this new year, are you satisfied in Jesus? The Bible tells us his table is spread with everything we need to satisfy us, with everything we need to bring us true and lasting joy. The question is, will we believe that as we get ready to embark upon a new year? Will we, will we look at God and his character through the lens of our circumstances or will we look at our circumstances through the lens of God and his character? Looking beyond our circumstances, beyond the reminders of everything that makes this world sad to see this all-satisfying God who's wise in all circumstances, who's loving in all circumstances, who's good in and through anything and everything we may face in 2020. We sing it all the time around here. A song entitled Satisfied in You by the Sing Team includes these words, let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my losses show me all I truly have is you. And they all ate and were satisfied. My prayer for all of us is that through the joys and, and the sorrows of this new year to come, that we might find our ultimate sat satisfaction in this all-satisfying shepherd King Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna continue to worship through song, have an opportunity collectively to sing to this shepherd king, to sing of his praises as we close out this calendar year together in this place this morning. Have an opportunity to receive of communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. We take the, the bread here representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his blood that was shed for us. I mean, what an appropriate imagery for us this morning coming out of a passage in which Jesus took the bread and broke it and blessed it and multiplied it, that, that we Christians get an opportunity to come down the aisles at some point between now and the end of this service and take the bread and dip it in the cup and remember this Jesus who promises to give us ultimate satisfaction in himself and to fulfill us for all of eternity when he returns to set all things right.